Daniel and Devorah Kalik. It is pronounced Kalik? Amen. All the way from Haifa, Israel. Via San Francisco and other places too. Wow. To leave San Francisco, hallelujah. You know, I just heard yesterday, everybody's leaving San Francisco. The beautiful city on the bay, everybody's leaving it. And they're all moving to Haifa, which is also, it's interesting, it's also a city on the bay. It's, it is the most, of all the city, well, Jerusalem is beautiful. Tel Aviv, forget about it. No, Tel Aviv, the coast is beautiful, but Haifa actually means beautiful. Yafa, right? And it's a beautiful city, kind of resembles San Francisco in some ways, beautiful bay there. It's the main port city in Israel, but why don't you guys, guys come up here and um, they're in the States for a little bit and, and they have a ministry called Bless Israel Network. And their heart is to really communicate needs and what God is doing in the land among the congregations, but also outside of the land. And we got to know them, Millie and I just, I remember spending a lovely evening in the Haifa Mall at the restaurant there. What was that called again, that restaurant there? Greg, yeah, beautiful place. Had a wonderful meal, just got to know these guys. And they've been in Denver a few times, but this is the first time we've been able to have them here. So um, bless you guys. We're glad you're with us. And uh, we'll just give it to you, whether, I don't know if Daniel, you're going to take it or divorce. And then um, let me just pray over you. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the land, Lord God. And Lord, our hearts are connected with Israel. And, Lord, it's the apple of your eyes. So, Lord, we just pray that uh, the impartation that takes place today would go to, from your heart to our heart. We bless you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stuart. Shabbat shalom to each of you. Um, it's great to be here. As Stuart mentioned, uh, we've known each other for several years, and this is the first time our schedules have coincided so, um, and uh, before I uh, share a few words with you, I'd just like to express my great, great love for that angelic worship which just took place. You are very, very gifted, and uh, bless you all. You are being blessed every Shabbat with such wonderful music. So, incredible. And also, um, aside from Stu and Millie, who we continue to pray for, and we have full expectations and claiming in the merit of Yeshua that you are going to be completely restored and healed. Amen. Someone that we have known for se several years that we haven't had a chance to see for quite some time is with us today. Patricia, it's so nice to see you again. We've spent some wonderful time together in the past, and it's nice to see you. So what we're going to do, um, as Stu mentioned, we have a ministry. The main focus of the ministry is we are giving a platform to the Messianic ministries that we can interview, because not all do want to be interviewed because they're a little fearful of being exposed. That word fear comes up again, okay? And by the way, fear actually means false events appearing real. I don't know if you ever heard that before, but that is one way people look at fear. And there are Messianic ministries in Israel who are fearful that the government will find out who they are. 
So we have not had a chance to interview some of them. But our main focus, we're not going to focus on it today, but we're going to share a, a couple of messages with you, a couple of words. But the main focus is a program called Revelation to the Nations, which is on our website, which we'll show to you at the end of our message. You can watch the interviews, and if you like or are touched by what some of these wonderful Messianic ministries are doing in Israel, then you are invited to connect with them, pray for them, and maybe even visit them when you're in Israel, okay? But today, I'm going to share for a few minutes about what's going on currently in Israel and why our beloved country that we have been citizens of now for 10 years, having left the left coast, okay, and we moved to the right coast. We took a far right turn, okay, and, and very glad we did. I'll share a little bit, and then my bride is going to come up, and she's going to go right into the deep end of the pool about something quite prophetic, and hopefully you'll be blessed. So as Stu has mentioned, and we're all dealing with this tsunami of sorts, okay, in the physical and in the spiritual right now. And to be honest with you, I'm not trying to put us or our country in a disproportionate place, but without Israel, there is no plan of salvation. Israel is the key to God's plan for salvation. Amen? Amen. And not only is Israel key to God's plan for salvation, but for all of you in this room and any of you who are watching online, we Jews, and I'm a Jew, and I didn't stop being a Jew when I accepted Yeshua as my Messiah. I didn't cross over and become a Gentile. Nothing wrong with being a Gentile, but I'm still a Jew, as Yeshua is a Jew. And when he returns, he'll be a Jew. But God's plan cannot happen without a full partnership with the Gentiles. This is a complete partnership which we are praying and hoping that the church will recognize how important it is to partner with Israel and not turn its back and not promote replacement theology. We all know what replacement theology is, right? If you don't, it's evolved out of supersessionism, which essentially is the belief that because the Jews corporately didn't accept Yeshua as Messiah when he walked the earth, they lost all of the covenantal promises that God had for them. And basically, that's a violation of Torah. Because we all know what Torah says. And everlasting is everlasting. It's not an abridged definition. Forever is forever. So we hope and pray that the church turns away from replacement theology and recognizes the critical importance of partnering with Israel because all of the Gentiles in this room and anywhere watching and anywhere in the world have an opportunity to choose to be grafted in to the family and commonwealth of Israel. And we invite you. Israel invites you. Israel wants you. Israel needs you. So please, we have a particular opinion about replacement theology. 
Our view is replacement theology should be replaced. Okay? Well, sometimes we're in the shallow end of the pool and sometimes the deep end of the pool, okay? Yeah. Replacement theology has no place in Scripture. And I wish and I hope and pray that pastors that stand on the platforms and make comments and deliver messages which are contrary to what Scripture actually says have a powerful revelation from God that God reveals to them the truth that the Jewish people have not been replaced. Read Romans 11, that Shaul did not become a Christian. Read Romans 11, that the Torah was not replaced. Read Matthew 5. The Torah is here with us forever. Not a jot or a tittle will change until heaven and earth pass away. And last time I checked, looking around this room, heaven and earth haven't passed away. So, my dear friends in the church, we invite you, we invite you to turn away from replacement theology. Please. Oh, am I losing it? Well, it's not the first time. So, right now, Israel needs your prayers. COVID-19 is ravaging the country. I know we've heard a lot about information and so on, but no country in the world right now is suffering more than Israel. Fully 7% of the people who have contracted COVID-19 in Israel have passed away. That's a higher number than almost any other country. God is speaking, my friends. COVID didn't just appear. God speaks to us through signs and wonders. And I think, in fact, I believe that the Lord is trying to get our attention. The Lord doesn't want us to be completely immersed and focused on what's going on with the economy, with politics, with all these other earthly things. God wants us to be focused on him. Now, we can all talk about how this virus originated. We all have our opinions. But the bottom line is God has allowed it to happen. God allows Satan to exist. Nothing happens without God's knowledge or consent. And so right now, Israel is going through one of the worst crises it has ever faced since its miraculous rebirth in 1948. So Israel needs your prayers. The government in Israel is teetering. We've already had three elections within the last year and a half. It's unprecedented. We may be on the verge of another one. So please, let me pray for Israel right now, and I ask that you join me. Avina Makino, our Father, our King, we ask that you look down upon your chosen people in the land that you gave them that was promised in your Torah that was given to Moshe on Mount Sinai, that this is your holy land. It has always been your holy land. It is your holy land, and it will remain your holy land. 
Lord, touch the people in Israel. Touch all segments of the Israeli society, including the Arab segment of Israeli society, because there are million and a half Arabs who are full citizens of Israel. Lord, I ask that you touch them, and I ask that you touch the ultra-Orthodox in Israel right now. Because these two segments, the Arab seg segment and the ultra-Orthodox segment, are polar opposites, but they're being ravaged by COVID-19. Lord, I ask that you impart a profound revelation on them, and that they will come in unison, and they will turn to you, and they will turn and cry out. The Arabs may not say it in Hebrew, but I know the Orthodox will say, Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai. And so, Lord, we just ask that you touch them and take this, take this virus and send it back to the pit of hell where it belongs. And when you do that, send your merciful angels to the land of Israel and have them awaken the entire population so everyone will know you are the one and only sovereign God. You are the leader. You are the king. You are the master. You are the one that directs our future, Lord. Because you sent your son, Yeshua, and we know why he came, and we know why he's coming back. Amen. Amen. So for a moment, I'm going to turn to something else which is recent. But before I do that, uh, for those of you that are here in the room, if you would like to get on our mailing list, we have a sign-up sheet. So I'm going to pass this around. It's got a pen attached to it, and you can get on our mailing list. And if you choose to do that, please do me a favor and print your name and your email as clearly as possible because if I can't read your email address, you're not going to hear from us. If you don't want to hear from us, don't write it legibly. <laughs> but if you want to hear from us, write it as plain as you can. And we'll update you as things warrant. We have a new video or our schedule or what have you. And I'll explain a little bit more at the end because we'll touch on our website and we'll show you how you can connect with us via our website and also if you'd like to donate as well. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to make a rather dramatic statement that some of you may be surprised to hear. I'm here as a Jew who lives in Israel to say thank you to Iran. You heard me. The country that wants to wipe us off the face of the earth. I'm here to say thank you to Iran. Why? Can we put up the picture? Miracles are taking place. Everyone in this room and you online, I'm sure you pray for miracles. What you're looking at right here, this photograph of the President of the United States, the Prime Minister of Israel, and the two leaders of Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, is a result, in my opinion, of an old adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. There's no question Iran is our enemy. But guess what? There is a wave of change coming over the Middle East. Arab nations that didn't want anything to do with Israel 
in fact, were dedicated to destroy Israel, are now making peace with Israel. This is a miracle happening before our very eyes. So now that the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain have legally embraced Israel as a sovereign nation, they have done something not only miraculous in that sense, but guess what? These peace agreements which have taken place between Israel and these two Arab nations, there's something also quite miraculous. Number one, there was no land involved in these peace agreements, okay? Unlike the 1979 Camp David between Egypt and Israel where there was a ton of land, Israel had conquered the entire uh, Sinai, and I can remember to this day the late Anwar Sadat who paid the ultimate price for making peace with Israel. He was assassinated by his own people in 1981. And I remember him saying, poor Menachem, referring to Menachem Begin, the prime minister, I got back all my land, I got back my oil fields, and what did Menachem get? A piece of paper with my signature on it. Okay? He paid for it with his life. Sadat did. So that involved land. 1994, Israel made peace with the Hashemite Kingdom of Israel. That involved land. Neither of these peace agreements involved land. That is absolutely miraculous that these Arab nations are willing to recognize Israel as a sovereign member of the Gulf nations. And the other, the other very noteworthy element is that it had nothing to do with the Palestinians. The time has come the Arab nations who for years, years, said we will never consider making peace with Israel unless there's a two-state solution and the Palestinians get the land that they say is theirs. Again, that they say is theirs. Never mind what the facts say, okay? There are some people who will not say it, but they act in accordance with it. They never let the facts alter their agenda. And this is exactly what the Palestinian cottage industry has been about for the last 50-odd years. They never had a state. The land was never theirs. And yet these Arab nations demanded that Israel give this land to the Palestinians and formalize a two-state solution. Well, guess what? The, pa the Palestinians have had decades to make peace with Israel, and they have steadfastly said one word every time the opportunity comes up, and that word is no. There's an old saying, the Palestinians led by Yasser Arafat never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. That's exactly what they've done. They've missed every opportunity. So these Arab nations who are under the threat of Iran because they're Sunni Arab nations, have gotten to the point where they said, you know what, we're not waiting on the Palestinians anymore. We want peace. We want prosperity. And so guess what? We're going to make peace with Israel, whether you Palestinians are interested in doing it or not. We're going to do it. Why? Let me ask you a question. What nation does Iran hate more than Israel? Does anyone know? It's not the United States. It's Saudi Arabia. 
Now, why Saudi Arabia? Iran is the mother country of Shia Islam. Shiite Muslims compromise about, or, or make up about 15 to 18 percent of the world's 1.7 billion Muslims. The mother country is Iran. The holy city is Qum. The rest of the Muslims in the world are Sunni. The mother country of Sunni Islam is Saudi Arabia, and the holy city is Mecca. And believe you me, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you the Sunni Muslims and the Shiite Muslims hate each other more than Iran hates Israel. So the country that Iran hates more than any other is Saudi Arabia. And all of these other Gulf nations, including Bahrain and the UAE, are Sunni nations like Saudi Arabia, and there will be more Arab nations that will come to make peace with Israel. Mark my words. It's going to happen. And so this, as strange as it may sound, Arabs are Gentiles. Anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile. This could be the beginning of something that could result in the full fruition of the Gentile world recognizing Israel. Even though these are Arab Muslim nations, which may not make sense, they're still Gentiles. And so God is working on the group of people that you might think would be the last ones to recognize Israel, the Arabs. Well, guess what? This is the miracle. This is the kind of miracle that God can do. God is a God of miracles. So we in Israel are extremely pleased about what's happened. Some of the fear mongers are concerned that they could trick us. I understand that. But nonetheless, until and if such time comes, and we pray it doesn't, we welcome these Arab nations that want to recognize us. It has been a long time coming. The late Gold of My Year once said, I can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. What I cannot forgive is them forcing us to kill their children. We don't want war. We don't want war. We're not interested in conquering the Middle East. We as believing Jews and you as believing Gentiles, we want God's plan to rise above everything. And we want the nation of Israel to be the spotlight. You know, they say that they, they developed, they built Texas Stadium in Dallas so God could look down on his team. Well, I got news for you. God's looking down on Israel, okay? All right, as much as we love Texas, and we have dear friends in Texas, and we're going to be there in a few weeks. God loves Israel, and he will never stop looking down on his people. What he's waiting for is for his people to look up to him and cry out, Bo, Yeshua, Bo. Come, Yeshua, come. So this is what we're hoping for. So I'm going to close with a quick word of prayer, and I'm going to turn over the time and the microphone to my bride who's going to bless your socks off. I've kind of talked about contemporary stuff, hopefully given you a few tidbits of information that you haven't heard before. We'll be around after services if you want to pick our pockets a little bit. That's okay, too. And uh, for those of you who are online, uh, as we, when we close, we'll tell you how to get in touch with us online. So, uh, Avina Makino, a father of king, thank you for this wonderful time. Thank you for the opportunity to share. And Lord, I just ask that you impart the words 
on the lips and the tongue of my bride that will get everyone in this room and everyone watching online stomping, shouting, thumping, clapping, singing your praises. Amen and amen. Okay, my dear, it's your turn. Thank you so much, everyone. Ah, well, we want to just thank you again, uh, Millie and Stu. I, we're, oh, are, there you are. <laughs> Bright lights um, for having us. It's a real privilege to be here, and we know that giving up the pulpit, so to speak, is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing. <laughs> you're, you're probably getting used to it. I hear you have a lot of visitors. <laughs> um, amen. Well, I love what Daniel was um, mentioning because really this is Israel's task to be a light to the nations. And finally, it seems that Israel has begun to understand that this is her calling. And she is being provoked by Gentiles like me and any of you who are not Jewish. Because we're as we come into our fullness, she comes into hers. So we're pretty excited about what's happening. So would you put up the PowerPoint for me, Mike? Mike, right? So um, what I'm sharing today is actually a message that I was asked to prepare and give about five months ago, um, right before Shavuot, when coronavirus was really taking on, you know, a life of its own. And um, I was given the op opportunity to teach on anything that I wanted. And, of course, that always scares me <laughs> because... I'm like, well, what do you want me to say, Lord? And I had less than 24 hours notice um, to do this, and it was to a worldwide audience. And so, of course, I went to bed stressed. I prayed. Um, this is only the second time in the world or in my life that this has happened where I've had short notice and um, that it was to a large uh, international audience. And what happened was I woke up the next morning at 4.45 a.m., and this is the message that I uh, was given. And I'm sharing it today because we've, I've been sharing it um, the last, uh, what is that, five months. And um, it is really having a profound impact on people's lives. And I hope that today this will not only challenge you but we'll also encourage you. And, um, you know, we're going through some difficult times. The world as we know it has changed. And we kind of don't know what's next, do we, in terms of the natural. Well, we need to prepare ourselves because um, we need to stand firm and be faithful. I know I'm preaching to the choir here um, because our king is coming home very, very soon. And this means we know according to the prophets and what it says in Revelation that things are going to only get more difficult as that time approaches. However, Yeshua said, look up, for you know your redemption is nigh, is near. So I'm constantly amazed 
at how much the individual Torah portions of the annual reading cycle match the current events. I don't know if you have noticed that, but I sure have. Though that this is because the Torah is prophetic. It's a prophetic, it's five books, but you know, sometimes in Messianic Judaism, we think of it all as a whole. And so the stories, though they're about real people and real events, those stories have a lot of deeper meanings, and they're basically prophetic signs for us. And each week, the words in the parasha have something very valuable to say to us. So as we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, we roll back the scroll, and we've returned to Bereshit in the beginning. So good, you've already got slide two up there. Thank you. I found something that our sages of blessed memory wrote on the beginning phrase in Bereshit, which, of course, Bereshit is spelled, you can see it, Beit Reish, um, Aleph, Shin, Yud, Tav. And they say it's an acronym for Berishona, Ra'a Elohim, Sheik Blue, Yisrael Torah, which means, in the beginning, God saw that Israel would accept the Torah. And in addition, the last letters, you probably all know this, but in case you don't, um, the last letters of, of the uh, phrase Bereshit bara Elohim are the Tav, the Aleph, and the Mem. And though they are out of order, they spell the word Emet, Aleph, Mem, Tav, truth. In Psalm 119, verse 160, it, said, it tells us that in the beginning, God created the world with truth. Truth is the foundation of the creation. And what did Yeshua say? Ani ha-emet. I am the truth. You know, this is, is true today as it was in the very beginning in the creation process. And what is also true is that you and I were created for greatness because, for one reason, and I really appreciate what, um, what I didn't, I forgot your name, I'm sorry, but what you said about the Torah portion, it really fits well with my message. Thank you so much. <laughs> But um, basically, we're created for greatness because we are created to reveal the Holy One, the Creator, the God of Israel, to the world. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, we're commanded, you shall sanctify yourselves and you will be holy, kadosh, because I am Hashem your God. In another place, he says, you will be kadosh because I am kadosh. God is concealed in this world that we live in, this world of time and space. And amazingly, he has chosen to reveal himself. He has, be he has chosen to put himself in partnership with mankind to reveal him to the world. 
I'm still very amazed at this. I've been at this for 47 years, and it still amazes me. I guess we should all continue to be amazed at this because we all know how fallen we are and that we sometimes don't behave as we know we should. Well, his name, meaning who he is, his reputation, his midot, his attributes, his, his being, his essence, becomes revealed in this world through you and I. The more separated you and I are in our service to him, the more that our God is revealed to this world. And so the more separated we are, the more our God who is concealed is revealed. We, again, need to be separate. This is what kadosh means. This is what holiness is. We need to be separate from what's going on in the world and what the world says is good because God is separate. Well, I want to go back to the creation story um, because the creation is all about separateness. Um, not quite there yet, but that's okay. It can be up there. What's the first act of creation? It was the light, ha'or. And then God separated the light from the darkness. Our sages of blessed memory say that this was a unique and separate light from the sun, moon, and stars, which were created on day four. I'll get to this in a minute. Maybe you can just go back and stay on the other one. I don't want it to be a distraction. Yeah, yes, just stay there. I'll, I'll let you know when you can change them. I should have said that. Sorry. They say this light that was created on day one is different than the sun, the moon, and the stars, which were created on the fourth day. And they say that this light was the light of Messiah. And after the fall of Adam, the light of Messiah, the sages say, was concealed, was concealed rather, to be revealed in the messianic age for the righteous, for us who believe. So, again, the light of Messiah was concealed just as Hashem is concealed in this world. Next, in the creation story, he separated the uh, light from the darkness, and then he separated the waters from above, or the waters above from the waters below, which is called the rakia, which is the firmament, which is also known as heaven. And then he separated the waters from the dry land, and he called the land earth and the waters seas. And then he separated various types of vegetation, and he created the luminaries. Here we are finally on day four, so we know that light was different than the sun, moon, and the stars. He created the luminaries to separate the day from the night, the sun to rule the day, and the moon and stars to rule the night. Then he created all kinds of beasts and animals and insects, each its own species and separated from all the others. Then he created man, and he separated him from all other creatures 
How did he do this? He did it by giving us an essence from himself. And in Bereshit, or Genesis 2-7, it tells us that from his own breath, he blew into us a nishmat chayim, a soul of life. This word nishmat is where we get the word neshama, which is an aspect of our soul that the sages say came directly from Hashem. It came from his nishma, his breath. Now, in English, you know, there's only one word for soul, soul. In, in uh, Greek, there's one word for soul also, pneuma, but they do sometimes translate it as spirit. But in Hebrew, you may not know this, there are five words for the one word soul. Now, that's a teaching for another day. But I wanted you to understand that our neshama comes from directly from God. It is a, for lack of a better term, it's really not adequate. Our English language sometimes is not adequate to explain Hebrew. And we're locked in time and space. And he's, of course, beyond time and space. But he gave us a piece. It's not really a piece because he's not incomplete. But he gave us an essence of himself and breathed that into us. Now, um, they, what the sages say, and then the rest of creation, because we're the only ones that have a neshama. The rest of creation was made from the lower level of speech, which is exactly what you said this morning. We are separated, man, from everything else in creation. And I want to reflect just for a little while longer on the uniqueness of man. And, of course, when I say man, I'm including woman because she was separated from man. Okay, now you can put that beautiful slide up there of the creation of man. It's important to look at another passage in Genesis to further understand man's essence. And it says in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image, which is the word Beitzal Menu in Hebrew, after our likeness, Kidmutenu in Hebrew. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Now what's not clear, my friends, in the English or any other language is perfectly clear in the Hebrew. The word for image is tselem. You can hear it in the word beitselmenu, tselem. In Hebrew, tselem has to do with the essence of something. Tsel is the modern-day Hebrew word for shadow. And so man was created to be the shadow of God. And by the way, if you want my slides and my, um, my notes, they will be available for you. Um, I'll just send them to Stu or Millie, and you can disseminate them. Okay. So man was created to be the shadow of God. Well, let's think about how a shadow is formed for a minute. You know, a shadow is formed when light 
hits an object, and it casts an exact representation of that object. And so man was meant to reflect the creator, but not in a physical sense, because we know God has no physical shape or form. But rather, man is meant to reflect God's essence, his creator, the creator in his midot, who he is in his attributes. Additionally, the word for likeness in Genesis 1.26, demut, it carries the idea of a simile. Again, not in physical form, but in a similarity of character or attributes. This is what Yeshua meant when he said, the one who sees me has seen the Father. He wasn't saying God looks like a man. What he was saying is God is like I am inside, in my essence. Because, of course, Yeshua was the fullness of God, though he was in the form of a man. We're talking about his inner essence here. Okay, so we are created to resemble our God, like Yeshua resembled God. And, in, you know, in Psalm 8, verse 6, it says we were created a little less than the angels, right? Wrong. That's not what it says in Hebrew. It's That's right. Good for you. You know this. That's great. So we are actually made a little lower than God, a little lower than Elohim. And so we, it says in Psalm 8 later, we are the crowning glory of his creation. Why would we be the crowning glory of creation? Do you think he didn't know that we would fall? Of course he knew. Yet we're still called the crowning glory of his creation. Why? Because of what I have been sharing with you. We, he is concealed, and we are to reveal him in our, from our essence, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we love people, the way we care about people, the way we nurture people. This, these are all God's attributes. And, of course, we saw them lived out in Messiah Yeshua. We were created separate from all of the other creatures so that we could reveal the God of the universe who is concealed in this world. We are to be like our Messiah. We are not the Messiah, but we are little messiahs representing him to the world. We were created to be his lookalike, not in the physical again, but in our characters, in our attributes, in our essence. This is what doing the commandments is all about. The commandments are a reflection. They aren't, the commandments aren't God, but they're a reflection of who he is. And they're a reflection of how we, they are also about how we repair the world. Somebody already mentioned that earlier today, tikkun olam. The more separated you and I are 
the more we look like God and, of course, Messiah. I know this may seem impossible to us, but it's really not. The Jewish sages say if we wish to cling to Hashem, we must begin by sanctifying ourselves, separating ourselves, making ourselves holy. Holiness is a process. And every time we obey a mitzvah, a commandment, we are taking on the image of our Messiah who looked exactly like our God in his essence. You know, the, um, uh, the, one of the great sages who may have been a believer in Yeshua, his name is the Ramad Vali, and he said, um, when one strives for Kedusha, or holiness, Hashem will assist him, because he who purifies himself will be given divine assistance from heaven. This is actually in the Babylonian Talmud. So what he's saying is when we take one step and do what we're supposed to do, when we take a step toward God and we do that every time we obey him and his commandments, then he sends divine assistance for us to finish that commandment into its completion. Isn't that amazing? The, this this uh, Ramad uh, Vali is not the only one who said this. A lot of our sages said this. Well, um, okay, you can go to the next slide. I want to switch gears a little bit here, but I will pull it all together. We're going to talk now about times and seasons. And, you know, in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 9, this is a passage we're all familiar with. It says, to everything there's a season and a time, eight to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. Ecclesiastes teaches us that everything has its proper time, eight. It's used actually 29 times between verses one and nine. And I'm sure you all know when a word gets repeated over and over and over again, it's because it has something important to teach us. So eight, the word eight, you can see it there, is a tiny little word spelled ayin taf, but it's jam-packed with powerful meaning. What season, what eight are we in today? Well, many will say we're in the season or the time of coronavirus. Okay, I get that. But I'm actually asking you a different question. Do we understand what time, what eight it is? Did you know that the word eight is also related to the word aid, ein dalit, which means witness? And aid is where we get the word mo'aid from. The mem is from aid, witness. Because the appointed times or the feast, which we just went through, are actually the seasons or times of our witness that our identity is Israel. 
Amen. And that is whether you are Gentile or Jewish. Because, as Daniel pointed out, we as non-Jews, when we believe in the Messiah and we choose to become children of Abraham, grafted in, attached to Israel, we take on the identity of Israel. Now, we just passed the season of the High Holy Days on the Jewish calendar, which are very prophetic, as we all know, and jam-packed with meaning. Some year in the future, on Rosh Hashanah, Israel will crown Yeshua as king. We crowned him today in our hearts as we worshiped him, as we know he truly is, though that has not yet been revealed to the world. Yom Kippur is the time, the eight, we are evaluating our actions over the past year and we're repenting for our sins. During this eight, this time, we're looking within and being honest with ourselves about where we've fallen short and where we have not represented our God well. It's the eight of asking forgiveness and repairing broken relationships so that we can start fresh and anew. Yom Kippur is also the eight, which is about the national salvation of Israel one day. Can't wait for that. Sukkot is the eight that foretells about the wars of Messiah, the destruction of Israel's enemies, and the dawning of the Messianic age. We today are in the eight, the time of renewal again, because we've turned back the the scroll, excuse me, the Torah scroll to the beginning. It is the eight when we can learn once again from our patriarchs and our matriarchs what it means to love and serve Hashem. Every year, we are so blessed in Messianic Judaism, we get so many opportunities to push that refresh button and to start over again. Every year, this happens multiple times. And this is why Hashem has given to Israel the Moedim, the times of our witness, where renewal is always possible. So, what is the eight we are in? No matter what, we are always in the eight of repentance. We are always in the eight of being kadosh, separated, holy, we're always in the eight of making ourselves more like our Messiah. We're always in the eight of recreation. I'm almost finished. <clears throat> and that process began when we chose to follow the Jewish Messiah. And it will continue throughout the rest of our lives. He makes our holiness, our separateness possible. Every act of creation was an act of separation. The light from the darkness the waters from above, from the waters below, the day from the night, the dry land from the seas, a man from the rest of the creatures. <clears throat> Messiah makes it possible for us, despite the fall of Adam, to be separate and restored to our original condition. How can this happen? Through separation, holiness. Obedience to his commandments is the key. And even Shimon Kepha in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12 says that through our holiness and our holy actions, we have the potential of hastening the day of Messiah's return. We 
have been created for greatness. And Yeshua said we will do greater works than he did. How in the world is that possible? Well, it's possible because of our holy actions and our unity doing them together in this season, in any season of our lives, during the eight, we can stir the heart of heaven to send the Messiah, our bridegroom, home to Jerusalem. It's always the eight of preparing the bride. Israel is the bride, and being kadosh is all about being married to God. The word, and just for a real quick move to the next slide, the word for Marriage is kiddushin. It's another act of separation. You can see how we're being prepared and cre we've been created for separation. Well, um, remember I told you eight is a little tiny word jam-packed with powerful meaning. Hebrew is a mathematical language. Before there were numbers that we use today, the Hebrew letters served as numbers. So what I'm going to share with you next is definitely kosher and not at all anything to do with the world's numerology. They stole it. And by the way, this only works with Hebrew. It doesn't work with Greek. It doesn't work with English. It doesn't work with Russian. It doesn't work with any other language, only Hebrew, because Hebrew is the holy tongue. Hebrew is the tongue of angels. Hebrew is the pure language that we will all be speaking when Messiah returns. Well, the numerical value of eight, Ein Tav, is 470. It's the same as the word for marriage, Kiddushin. You can see it up there. I've, I've um, you know, shown it in detail, and you guys can get these slides. Kadosh. What mean, which means to be holy or separated is the same root as kiddushin. Our holy and godly actions in this eight have the potential to hasten the redemption and the wedding between Messiah and Israel, for which we've all been waiting for 2,000 years. We are to live holy lives so that when the Holy One comes again to the earth, we will be ready and separated unto him. Let's get to work, my friends. There is no time to waste. We're created to be the shadow of God. We're created to reveal the God who is concealed to this world, in this world. By working together in love and unity, we have the potential to bring about all the redemption of Israel, which means the redemption of the world. Let's just do it. We can do it. The Jewish sages tell us we can do it and we'll get assistance from heaven when we strive for holiness. We can bring the light of Messiah back to this world because we reflect him in this world. We begin. When do we begin? Hayom. Today. The sages say he will come today if we hear his voice. So let's just do it together. Let's take back the saying of Nike. Let's just do it. And we can always live in the, um, in the eight, the perfect eight, and to begin bringing back our Messiah.
Well, let's pray real quickly. Abba, I thank you for this precious opportunity to share this wonderful message that you gave me. And um, I just pray that you will imprint it on our hearts and that we will be fully conscious about revealing our Messiah to this world so that everyone in the world can come to know our God and be redeemed and saved from um, their sins. We thank you and bless you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Uh, Mike, if you could real quickly bring up our website, and I'll uh, show the folks here and any, uh, anyone online uh, how they can get in touch with us and what's available to be seen. There we go. Okay, if you can click on the tab that says Programs. At the top. The one that says Programs, there you go. Click on Revelation to the Nations. Okay, here is where you can look at the interviews that we have recorded in Israel of various Messianic ministries. And so I hope you uh, take some time, uh, whenever the Lord calls you, take a look at some of these videos, and you'll see some wonderful Messianic ministries that we've had the pleasure of interviewing in Israel. Then if you uh, click on the, um, the one below that, go back to programs, and then it says enrichment. There you go. Right there. Each of us have our own individual teaching programs. Devorah has uh, Heartbeat of the Torah, Taste of Torah, and I have two. One is called I in Israel, and the other one is called Very Cool, My View as a Jew. <laughs> so you can, you can look at those if you like. And now if you can go back up to where it says Contact. Okay, for those of you who would like to send us an email, get on our mailing list, or just share any of your thoughts, you can go right there and fill out the little uh, form, and it'll come right to us, whatever it is that you're interested in saying. And so lastly, on the Donate tab, we are completely dependent on donations from wonderful people such as you here in this room today and any of you watching. This is where you can click and you can do whatever you like. You can make a one-time donation with a credit card. You can use PayPal. You can mail us a check. You can do a reoccurring donation as well. We have all the uh, technical ability to do that on an ongoing basis. So you just need to choose which one it is that you prefer and fill it out, and it'll all be taken care of. And so we all hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today, and hopefully we'll hear from some of you. We'd love to hear from you. And if any of you here in the room or any of you watching are planning to come to Israel, let us know. We'd love to connect with you. We had time with Stu and Millie when we were in Israel. We'd love to connect with you. Okay? Bless you. Thank you so much. Stu? Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Devorah. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, we love to bless Israel, so let's... I want to take up an offering, a love offering for Bless Israel Network and Daniel and Devorah. And so can we do that? And just let's just pray and ask the Lord if you're to give. And, and uh, if you can hand out the envelope.